for another edition of Automatic. And Steffi, excited that we are able to connect because right now it is crazy, crazy for both of us. I mean, the schedules are unbelievable, so it's hard for us to even find time to record. But we're still making time because we're watching a lot of college basketball. We're getting ready, obviously, here in February. Only a couple of more weeks left of the regular season. But first and foremost, Steffi, I would have to say I'm a little disappointed in you. I'm a little disappointed. Why are you disappointed in me? Yes, because Why? I'm really disappointed that you weren't able to get a t-shirt from Jackson Harper there at the Tennessee <laughs> Vanderbilt game. <laughs> I want to know why you weren't up front center and trying to get a t-shirt while he was throwing them out there, Kelly Harper's son. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you ever want to see desperation, listen to me begging for a t-shirt on national television. I wanted a t-shirt so bad at that game. He stared through my soul. I'm yelling, Jackson! And he's just looking right through me. And I'm like, he doesn't even see me at my cable. I can't stand up. I'm disappointed too. Look, yes. I really wanted a t-shirt. Best believe I would have stood up if I could. Next he's time, funny. He's, I want he's you standing up. <laughs> I normally do. Sideline, I'll be sidelining uh, in, in uh, Oxford on Thursday. If I see a shirt cannon, one of those things, like I will get right in, right in the middle of it and uh, try to nab, nab a t-shirt. De I'm dead ass serious. Okay, well, I'm all in on a free T-shirt, and you better get me one too. So you got double duty, lady. Now you want me to get yes, two? Yes, I, I do. You can get one from a seven-year-old. Yes. Now you want two? This is the pressure. That's what I'm talking about. See what I can do. Yes, exactly. Well, I also had a crazy weekend in terms of game that I was going to be calling USC Upstate versus UNC Asheville Big South Conference, and it was in Spartanburg. So all set for it on Saturday. Obviously. You know the deal, doing all your prep, you've got all that. You've had your production calls, had your calls with the coaches, you're all ready for the game. It's Saturday. And as I'm on my way up there, I get a text saying the game might not be going on. And I'm like, what? Not be because of COVID? No, or? not because of COVID, but because apparently a drunk driver had hit the Duke Power substation and created a complete blackout in the city of Spartanburg, South Carolina. <laughs> you can't make it up, Steffi. <laughs> so what goes through your head? I'm like, what the French toast is going on in the world right now, and especially college basketball. I said, it's par for the course, though. I mean, we're in freaky February or whatever, you know, before we get to March <laughs> Madness. You know, I'm just like, holy shit. And so... Part of me is also like, all right, I got to find out more details. I got to, we got to really understand what's going on. And so there was an aspect where UNC Asheville had not left Asheville. So it's about an hour away from Spartanburg. And so they were just going to be coming down, you know, and do their shoot around before the game. The game is supposed to start at four o'clock, but they hadn't left yet. They were actually boarding the buses and there was talks that USC Upstate, they were going to board buses instead and go up to UNC Asheville because they just wanted to play the game. And so both coaches yeah. just wanted to play the game. They don't, they didn't care if it was going to be broadcast and you know, they just wanted, you did. I did. You did. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so lo and behold, they were starting to figure out that they would be able to get power. They had a generator there at the GB Hodge center at USC upstate, but it was only enough to power the lights in the gym, not enough to do a broadcast and not enough to even, power the scoreboard. So there were talks that the refs were going to have to manually 
time the game and go back to the old oh school God. scoring in a book. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, exactly. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I know. And I was like, that's going to be a disaster. But somehow they were able to get enough power to run the scoreboard and the lights, but just not enough to broadcast. But I was already up there, so I stayed for the game because I'm calling another USC Upstate game. So it was just a good opportunity to kind of scout. And unfortunately for USC Upstate, they got blown out by Asheville, and it wasn't a good day for them. But it was just it wasn't a good day all the way around for the city of Spartanburg. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely crazy. So you can chalk that up. Not many times you can tell that type of story. No, no. and But hey – Got the game, right? I mean, how did you feel about it? I was at least there. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) I did do the post-game interview for Upstate on their social media. So, again, I got something out of it in terms of hanging around. And it was at least a little bit more of scouting uh, because tonight I've got USC Upstate uh, playing PC. Uh, Presbyterian made You made the the best of the situation at hand. I feel like that's pretty much all we can do in, in today's world, right? Yes. It's all you can do. Of course. I mean, that, that's definitely all we can do. And that's, it just showcased though, I, I felt that it was almost a microcosm, the craziness that happened and you couldn't predict it. That's the same way I'm seeing right now, especially on the men's side, uh, Steffi. I mean, mm. you can't yeah. predict what's going on now. Injuries are starting to uh, play a role in some of these teams, especially Kentucky get stumped by Tennessee last night, uh, and we're recording again on a Wednesday. Tennessee. I know. Tennessee, hey, up and down. Up and down. They revenged that loss. That was a revenge game for them. There's no question about that. You damn straight it was. And that's why Tennessee is actually yeah. my team of the week because they've won five games in a row now, and they seem to be playing really well. And especially, I think they came out with a big chip on their shoulder to take down Kentucky. And I know Kentucky, this is part of that injury situation as well. They didn't have Ty Ty Washington and I think that's going to be a big loss for them because we have seen how they've struggled when he's not there. But Tennessee, I mean, that place was amped up. I mean, there was... They play so good at home. They do. I believe they're undefeated at home yeah. right now. And, and they were, I mean, there was a few technicals right there at the beginning of the game. It was chippy. It was all of that. And Kentucky just didn't have an answer. And even Oscar Shuibwe had a decent game, you know, 15 rebounds, what he normally does. But... They just didn't have any answer for the Tennessee guards, and they just went off. And it just, again, shows you that it's a roller coaster ride. And I don't know who you can pick. I know, especially in the SEC, we've talked about it. Is it Kentucky? Is it Auburn? You know, can Tennessee make a run in the SEC tournament? Or and, Arkansas. Or Arkansas. Arkansas. I don't know. Arkansas's slippery. To me, they're slippery. I know. Like, I know. The bus, they're, I, I, like, I like them, but I think Auburn is, is still the clear-cut favorite. But, you know, to quote uh, Coach Calipari after the game, they got manhandled. Yes, they sure did. They got manhandled. (laughs) I appreciate that. Honestly, how about Penny Hardaway and his Memphis Tigers? I know. I was torn on that one, too. Upsetting Houston. Big one. That's a big one, right? And could that be the momentum that they need as also just from a resume builder for the NCAA tournament, kind of right there on that bubble watch type of team? And again, is that the confidence that they need heading into their tournament play as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you take down number six Houston. You know, are they a bubble team, Rich? Yeah, I think so. I I do bubble team. Yeah, I, yeah. I do think so. It's hard. Um, it's hard to far. It's hard to find up. You know, keep with Lenardi, 
his emails all the time, oh, no. bubble teams, you know, <laughs> it's constantly in flux. I think that the tournament would be better if Memphis was in it. You know, it's just such an, you know, they're, of course. they're an interesting team, it, it is with Penny at the helm. Because, so. Steffi, they're a team that can beat somebody in the tournament. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. the problem if you face Memphis because they're that talented. And, you know, on some given nights, when these guys put it together, watch out. You know, that's the, the big part of it. And there's definitely a few of those sneaky teams, you know, that are out there. Yeah. Well, there, there were some good games on, on TV last night. I watched the Duke game, then I watched the Kentucky game. And, um, you know, Duke, it's always, it's always good to watch them at home. I don't know. I've just got nostalgia watching them at home. And then um, John Shire, obviously, going to take over. I heard there's like some, I don't know, not a... Yes, not drama. There you know, is drama. I, you know, I love the tea, but I don't want to be a part of the tea. Um, but what, what, what? Can you nail down? I heard it briefly, kind of talked about on ESPN, and then during your broadcast. So, do you know what I'm talking about with John Shire? And then the drama is player. that yes, the drama is that a book has come out and it's chronicling Coach K and uh, the Duke uh, program, and obviously more about Coach K. But it's the whole process that happened when it was becoming time. Who was going to be the guy that would take over for Coach K? And they did a national search. And the national search says that Tommy Amaker should be the guy. Mm. Where Coach K... He's at Harvard. Yes. Correct? Yes. And he had He's been the Harvard. head coach okay. at Michigan. And, you know, obviously have some success at Harvard. And obviously played for Coach K and is one of the best guards in Duke history. But Coach K had handpicked John Shire. And so he felt that, okay, if Tommy is going to be in the running for this, then Amaker needs to come to Duke, be an assistant for a period of time, and then potentially be in the running. And he thought that it would just be too caused too much chaos in the program upheaval if Tommy came to be an assistant and he's got Shire who he wants to have. And so he had to basically call Tommy Amaker and tell him you're not getting the job, you know, cause it would just mm. be too awkward for you to come and be an assistant and all that. And so that's coach K handpicking his guy. And now all this pressure on John Shire and, yeah, He got to experience kind of firsthand because in that game you're talking about, they barely get the win against Wake Forest at home. And Coach K had to leave at halftime because he was is sick. And so Shire had to, had to take over. And so we're starting to get to see you know what that Duke team is going to be like without Coach K on the sideline. Not that we haven't seen that before. Yeah. He's missed games before. Yeah. But now it's you know this is the end. And it, it, it's crazy. And then how Duke wins, I don't know. Last second, I mean, it was a tip-in shot that dunk uh, by Mark Williams, and initially they called it off and said it was goaltending, offensive goal interference, but they reviewed it and said the basket counted, and there was only .2 seconds left, and so they get the win over Wake Forest. A little home cooking? Mm, it, it, did, it did yeah. look like it was clear. It, it, no, it looked like it, it was, was legit. Yeah. yeah. I, I would have liked to see Duke really extend their lead, you know, not really play around. I know. Right. And showcase why they're a dominant team, but they just let Wake Forest hang around. That's right. And I know Debbie was calling the game and Debbie's probably like, damn it, Duke, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, to, to your point about the story about the coaching, you know, 
everybody that I've I've talked to who's had interactions with Duke and John Shar has said he's tremendous. And I've heard the same thing. High praise of of him. So you know, I'm I'm sure there's there was gonna be drama around this position. It's Coach K, right? Yes. It's, there's gonna be some sort of drama. Um, but let's switch over to the women's side. I'm gonna talk about my team of the week, which is Louisville. Oh, Jeff Walls okay. got his team playing really well. And you know, on February 10th, last Thursday, February 10th, my mom's birthday. Shout out, mom, 59. She probably doesn't want me to say that. So happy birthday. We got to sing that. happy birthday to her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they were supposed to play Virginia, uh, who's coached by Tina Thompson. They're, they're struggling, and there was a travel issue. This is a bizarre okay. story as well. Yes. I don't know I to how this out, came down. I, anyway, the game doesn't get happened. So in your case, the game played. The game doesn't get played. <laughs> That's right. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know the actual details of that. So there's a forfeit. Virginia loses, Louisville wins. So um, with that time off, Jeff Wallace, he's got a little bit of time. Uh, his play, so he called, it was around 2.30. I think this must have been on Friday because normally they're traveling, so they didn't, right? So anyway, so he called around to all the nicest steakhouses in Louisville at 2.30, party of 12. How hard, it's, it's tough to get in, right? At a nice steakhouse, a big party like that. He found a place. They, they all welcome them. So he took his team to celebrate with a nice steak dinner. And then on Sunday, they whooped Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a damn good team. They're top 20 in the country. They have arguably, I think, one of the best freshmen who isn't really talked about because everyone talks about AZ Fudd on UConn. But this kid, is her name's Olivia Miles. She's averaging, I don't know, it's got to be like six assists a game. She's a, she's a highlight reel. Highlight reel. Okay. And I'm, I actually just got pulled on to do their rematch next Ooh, next Sunday. Here we go. Um, so it's, it you know, anyway, but they beat them by almost 40 points. And they are killing it with their defense. You know, Jeff just finds ways to just find, just whatever you're doing offensively that's working. And Notre Dame is a very good offensive team. They scored 47 points. So I think, like, in a way, you know, the ACC is – is they're going to put some teams in the tournament and some good teams in the tournament and including Notre Dame, but it, them and them and uh, NC state are like the one, a one, one B right up in the ACC. 1A, I was going 1B. to ask you, yes. I wanted to know is Louisville head and shoulders above everybody though in the ACC? No, no, no. They, I, they, they lost earlier in the season to NC state, but NC state has faltered a little bit um, in February. So, because uh, Notre Dame beat NC State. So anyway, it was a really good win for them. I think that they've just kind of been flying a little under the radar. Um, Haley Van Lith's starting to – she's starting to get going. I know you like Haley Van Lith. I do. Who doesn't? HVL, she's, let's go. Yes. Yeah. She's uh, she's starting to play uh, really good, starting to score it better. But Yeah, she plays with emotion too. She's out there. I mean, she's a little she spark plug out there. Yes. She does. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see the rematch, but I think – there was some some upsets along the way. Nebraska took down a top ten team. Amy Williams, she came over, I believe. Where did she come from? South Dakota. I, I've had interactions with Amy Williams, Nebraska's coach. She's great. Anyway, there was upsets. There was upsets, but I think that Louisville had a really good week. Do we need to make anything out of Villanova beating UConn, seventy two to sixty nine hmm. last week, and breaking their one hundred and forty five game regular season conference winning streak? 
Does that mean anything? Is this, is it again showcasing that UConn is just not the UConn that we've seen? And obviously, Paige Beckers is not there. We know that. But yeah. So when you heard that, what was your first thought? It wasn't surprising, just based on. I mean, it was surprising, but not surprising. I mean, when you see that number, you're like, good gosh, what total domination UConn has had in their conference. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous uh, that they haven't lost a conference game in that long. But knowing how you and I have been talking about UConn, especially obviously you saying we've had this discussion, is UConn getting propped up more times than maybe they shouldn't? And obviously (laughs) there's a whole aspect with Coach McGraw (laughs) as well, you know, former coach at Notre Dame and what her thoughts are as far as how ESPN covers at UConn, but they definitely have not seemed to be playing up to the level that we've seen over the years. So, I mean, it was seemed to be like this was the year to catch UConn if you're going to beat them. Yeah. And obviously you don't have Paige Becker, so you can have a much better opportunity. Well, Villanova hadn't beat UConn in 18 years. 18 years. So when I it's it's so funny because we were talking about this before we came on the podcast, and it's like what catches people people's attention, and it might not be South Carolina does this and wins, or Louisville beats Notre Dame by f- almost forty points or thirty points. It's UConn loses this. UConn only wins by eight. You know, it, it's yeah, yeah, they, they yeah. are who they are, right? It's all about perception with UConn, and they're obviously um, the team's not the same. Page is not out there, but Sports Center that night led with that story, so. It's like, is it because it's the streak? Is it because UConn, it's their dominance? Or is it because everyone is really enjoying seeing them be human? Yeah, I think it's the streak, obviously, just because that's such a long streak. But I think at the end of the day, as all these teams that become dominant teams, there's love-hate relationships out there. People love to hate them, and that's just the reality of it. They're polarizing, and UConn is still a polarizing team. They've got a, obviously a lot of fans, but they're polarizing. So this is, you know, ESPN in a certain way, they loved being able to start off with yeah. that. And because yeah. they knew it was going to get people's attention because they know that's going to get eyeballs on the storylines. Yeah. Well, the numbers are just so gaudy, you know, the streaks and what they're able to do within conference and all that. And, you know, um, we followed the Muffet story a little bit, but she she just uh, just a few days ago went on Don Staley's podcast NetLife. I did see that. And they talked they talked for a little bit, and I was curious if Don would bring it up. She did. She did. Yeah. And uh, they both they both said Gino has the most influence of any coach in women's college basketball. So I think that they were arguing that people. It, it's not about necessarily Gino. It's about media members who just automatically, if you're affiliated with UConn, you're a five-star player. If UConn in general is going to be top, you know, regardless of what they've done, right? And she basically they're both saying it's lazy. There's other players out there. There's tremendously talented teams. And, you know, I know Dawn is always vying for her team to get national respect. I think that they, I certainly know within my coverage of them. I mean, we talk about South Carolina on on our podcast. I talk about them a lot on air, but it is going to be hard to get the narrative away from UConn because the last four years, they haven't even been, they haven't won. We've had different champions. That's true. It's a good but point. It still remains, it still remains to be the, like at the start of the season, it's always, 
where does UConn fall, right? It's not, well, where's Stanford ranked? Stanford is the, the champion from last year. So it was, if, if anyone's listening, if they want to hear too tremendously, uh, I just use tremendously again. Uh, <laughs> just cut it. Just hey, cut this it. English two language. awesome coaches. No, I'm not cutting that. I love this English language. Two awesome we coaches. always trip up on it. <laughs> uh, Muffet McGraw and uh, Don Staley talking. It, it, it is a pretty good um, episode, but tremendously, you know how you when you're calling a game and you use the same word twice, you're like, damn. Yes, and- isn't it Find crazy? another word for great. <laughs> yeah. And isn't it crazy when you catch yourself, you know it. You're like, damn it. Why did I just say yeah, that? I just, just said that incredible. two seconds ago. <laughs> you got a you, you got a player of the week? I do. I do. Oh, and got? that's the big seven-footer for Auburn Tigers. And we've talked about triple doubles here on the podcast and again, just how rare that is in college basketball. And so I'm going with Walker Kessler after that dominant performance he had in the big win against Texas A&M. Now, I know Texas A&M is not a team in the SEC that's really going to contend, but it was a nice bounce-back game for Auburn after they got beat in overtime there in Arkansas. Walker Kessler, 12 points, 11 rebounds, 12 block shots for his triple-double. And he had seven blocks in the first half, basically. So, I mean, <laughs> he was dominant. And that might have been in even in the first 10 minutes. He was so dominant there that Texas A&M had no answer. And again, he's not going to be one of those flashy-type guys that's scoring a lot of points. But when you have those type of numbers, I mean, that's just insane, the consistency that he has. And that he's just he's had other triple-doubles this season. And he's just the fifth person in SEC history to have multiple triple doubles in one season. And you're talking the likes of Shaquille O'Neal, those type of players. I mean, he had a dominant performance. And this is one of the reasons why Auburn is where they are, sitting with only two losses. They had a 19-game winning streak until that loss at Arkansas. And when you combine him with Jabari Smith, I mean, it's one of the best front courts in the country. And then you've got Wendell Green Jr. and Katie Johnson at guard. That's why Auburn, I yeah. truly believe, yeah. they can win the SEC tournament. And they've got a good shot of being one of the teams that can win the whole thing, Steffi, the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I love Auburn. I mean, not only like watching their games when they're at home, because it's just – it's pure chaos. The yes. crowds are just absolutely insane. But the team and they're just they're you can't help but love them. You know, they've they've got so much talent. They're amazing to watch. You know, they're just dripping with NBA potential at every position. Yes. And you got Bruce Pearl on the sideline. Exactly. He's hollering. He's sweating. Yep. You know, it just makes for um a team that you just you just root for. Um I you know, I was I I had a Tennessee game on Sunday and Everyone, I was t- I was talking to Kelly Harper about this because you know what? Kelly Harper played for Pat. She was successful at Tennessee. She knows what it's like. There's just like a microscope on Tennessee women's basketball team. And it's like, if they lose one game, the, the, the fans sh- shit themselves because <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with our team now? Like, what's wrong with Tennessee uh, women's basketball? And they went through a stretch where – you know, they they lost to UConn. That was everyone's watching. That's right. right. Yes. And, you know, it was panic button on Tennessee, as usual. For some reason, for this program, I was joking with Kelly Harper. 
what is it about like the microscope that y'all are under always if you lose like one or two games everyone freaks out and she was you know she said you know fans are impatient she dealt with that as a player one of the best players for pat right at the point guard position she's fiery uh i just love her demeanor i think she's she's just a great coach for tennessee anyway tennessee lo loses to florida florida's one of the best stories in the country they're playing arguably second best to South Carolina and the SEC, okay? Then they lose to UConn. That was a huge ordeal because it's national and they're playing UConn. And is UConn really that good? Oh, but they beat Tennessee. So that was another missed opportunity. So anyway, I was curious what kind of, what was I going to get from Tennessee? Because all eyes are on them February 20th, college game day, going to Car South Carolina. Game's going to be on ABC. I mean, just... All the bells and whistles, right? And as it should be. And we can we can talk about that um, as something everyone's kind of looking forward to uh, as a fan of hoops, right? So my player of the week is Jordan Horston because she continues to just be consistent. She does turn the ball over a little bit too much. I'm sure Kelly Harper would agree with me there, but she just gets them 17 and 10. She's a guard, but she gets them in SEC play like 17 and 10, 17 and 10. No matter what, she's been consistent. And I think when your back's against the wall and everyone's talking about you, it's really hard to block that noise out, especially them. Like they're, they've got a big audience. I just like, I, I respect what she's done this year. And the message too, is that, you know, she sat behind, she didn't sit behind, she played, but she wasn't the star because Renaya Davis, who played for Tennessee, she was a top 10 WNBA draft pick. It's finally, it's finally Jordan Horston's team. So she can play more free, right? She's not necessarily Batman Robin. It's her team. So I'm I'm in the process of looking up some stuff about like WNBA players who weren't stars right away that had to sit a year or two and be and then throughout college became stars, went on to the WNBA and now are starters or, you know, whatever. Because I think a lot of players were. They had to wait. They just learned and then a star was born, right? Not everyone comes in on, on day one and is a superstar. So that's something I'm working on for our SEC tournament. Yeah, I love that because the development of some of these players is fascinating, uh, how they progress over the years. And especially some of these programs, they're, they're known for developing players. And I think that's a very interesting angle to look at, to see who was not the most highly talented, recruited, whatever it was, and then how their career had progressed. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you can chime in on the men's side. The men's side is so different because of one and done. You get these guys, that they just, they're ready to go. Bye. You know, where yeah. on the women's side, you take someone like an Asia Wilson, previously a number one draft pick. You saw her up and close from a freshman. She was just, she came on campus. She was a star. She was just a star. But how many, how rare is that? If I were to really dive into all the rosters and be like, hmm, okay, yeah, she, right off the bat, she was, she's got a statue in Columbia, so that's different. Yeah, it is. But how many of these kids, <laughs> how many of these kids, you know, really kind of had to wait it out, wait their turn, and then became really good, and, and where are they on a roster? So it's something I'm looking on. We'll, we'll talk about it in the next few weeks. But, yeah, Horson, just consistent, and I think, you know, it, it kind of puts our eyes on Tennessee as we head towards the 20th. Because that's the first time ever college game day coming for a women's game. That's pretty awesome. It's fantastic. And it's about time, right? I mean, and what better opportunity? I mean, you've got the number one team in the country who I still think 
is head and shoulders above everybody. I know you can throw Stanford and those teams in there, but I I think it's South Carolina. And I don't know if South Carolina is going to lose the rest of the year and just march straight on to a national championship. I think they're that talented. I, I really do. So I'm anxious to see the hype around that game because obviously, I mean, it's two legendary programs, I should say, more legendary with Tennessee with their history and everything. And now South Carolina is trying to become one of those legendary uh, programs. And I think Dawn Staley is definitely doing that right now. Yeah. Well, in the way that this, the fans, I mean, in Columbia, there's going to be 14,000 plus. Uh, you, but you wanted Tennessee to be feeling good. And be, we, we want to see the best version of both teams. And I think South Carolina, they are 10 and 0 against ranked teams. They really shouldn't have even lost this year. I, I always give props to Missouri. Missouri and South Carolina always go at it, but like they shouldn't have lost, but they did, and that's fine. But they should they should probably be undefeated. But to do to to go ten and zero against ranked teams is just unbelievable to me. Like I don't I I'm sure we have to go back to undefeated teams on on men's and women's who was who was um, undefeated, but who do they beat? And you get 10 wins against top 25 team. That is that is insane. It is insane because there's a lot of teams that are out there that if you do examine their record, it's not as impressive as the numbers will tell you that, oh, they're, you know, 15 and one. Yeah, but who did they really beat? That's the part that you really have to dive into. And that's where, unfortunately, I do believe that some of these voters, they're lazy. They just see the number of wins and don't really examine who those games were against and then be able to get a better idea of how good that team really is. Yeah, it's it's impressive. And, um, you know, the last week they didn't even have two of their best players. Uh, reserves, Camila Cardoso, she was playing for Brazil. Uh, there's international events. And Leticia and me here, she was with, I believe, Canada. So they didn't have those two players. Um, and they beat Georgia pretty handily. And Georgia's an NCAA yeah. t- tournament team. I'm very curious. Um, I will be in studio regionally at uh, for SEC Network. They've got the whole crew, you know, Lobo, Peck, Ryan Rucco, um, Holly Rowe, Andrea Carter. They'll all be there for college game day. Um, it's going to be – I'm, I'm stoked. You know, the growth yes. on the women's side is huge. People are interested, you know, talking to some people um, just in our studio – about South Carolina's numbers of viewers, their viewership for them is just sky high. People are, are watching them. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you of when course. you've got the team that they have? So um, we're looking forward to that. But I want to get into my automatic of the week, Rich. My automatic is um, our mutual friend, Debbie Antonelli, being inducted. Yes. Or nominated that. for the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Shout out to Debbie. I, she has been a good friend to me. Um, and seeing her name on the list, uh, there's some, obviously some very talented people, uh, Becky Hammond, one of those, uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but anyway, I'm happy for Debbie. She deserves it. She's done so much for the game. She has always battled for women and women's basketball. And how can we improve our product? How can we get our, our, our product out there? She's just been a great ambassador. So we just wanted to give a shout out, uh, for Debbie. 1,000%, and Debbie's been fantastic. Had her on my podcast, Rich Take on Sports, and just having her share her journey. And what I love about Debbie is that you're talking about 
how she's an advocate for the women's game and trying to improve it. And what's so unique about her is that she's able to switch over to the men's side without missing a beat. And you wouldn't even know it that she's much more involved on the women's side. But then because of all the experience she has on the men's side, she can kind of bring that experience and ideas. Okay, this is what I've seen that has worked on the men's side that maybe could help the women's side. And then, you know, vice versa. Uh, she can do that, you know, from a women's perspective and into the men's game, because I, I still think there's some areas of improvement on the men's side as well. And that's, that's what I love about Debbie is that she does both of those really well. And to your point, I mean, she's absolutely fantastic. She didn't have to be on my podcast and she took the time out and did that. And uh, I was very appreciative of her being able to do that. So the main thing, though, is that we got to get her on this podcast. That's right. So we both need to harass her. <laughs> I, you know, I definitely emulated, I emulate her um, way of broadcasting because she's really no, no BS. Like when she calls men's games, I mean, we heard her last night doing the Duke game. She will teach you shit when you're listening. Yes. I'm like, damn, Debbie, it. I don't even know what that cut is called. I know what the cut is. I didn't know what the name of the cut was. <laughs> and she's always told me, you know, I call it like I see it. I call, it doesn't matter if I'm doing women's games or men's games. I treat them the same. I don't dumb things down. I, t I, say, I say what I see. And I, you know, I really thought about that when, as I approached. Because you want to be fun. You want to be conversational. But you also want to inform. And she does all those things. Um, so just well-deserved and just want to give her a little love on the podcast. We'll work on getting her. She would, she will totally do it. I know she will. Yes, she, she definitely will. I talked to her about it at ACC media day, uh, before the season started. We just have not been able to circle back and get on her calendar, which I, again, I know she will do that. All right. For my automatic of the week, it's actually, as we're getting closer to tournament action, it's a new documentary, a 10-episode docuseries called The Tournament, A History of ACC Men's Basketball. And this is launched on the ACC Network. They just uh, released the first episode on February 7th. And again, there's going to be 10 episodes. But this chronicles the entire history of the ACC Tournament. And for a lot of people, they might not understand just the true history of the ACC Tournament and how it actually has led to a lot of changes that happened in the NCAA tournament because uh, there was for a period of time where you only got into the NCAA tournament if you won your conference tournament. So it led to the expansion uh, up to 48 teams and then ultimately to 64 and then now we're here at 68 teams. But it's a must watch. That's my automatic. That is a must watch. But that is it for episode number 11. It is officially in the books. And if you haven't already, please follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and let us know your thoughts by rating and reviewing. And as always, thank you for investing your time to listen. This is Automatic.